Welcome back to the South Harbor Church Podcast. South Harbor is a part of the Harbor Churches, which exist to help people find their way back to God. This week, we begin a new micro-series from our year-long study of Matthew that we're calling The Light at the End of the Tunnel. As always, for more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, stick around after the message. And now, let's head over to Pastor Tim, where he's going to ask the question, is it the end of the world? Right. If you have a Bible, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 24, New Testament book of Matthew chapter 24. Um, and again, uh, if you are new with us, we're really glad you're with us this morning. Uh, an interesting week to join us. Um, that video is heavy. Uh, um, and, um, and some of the stuff we're going to look at beginning today uh, is, uh, it is a bit heavy and yet I think really optimistic and hopeful at the same time, just like the video. I th- uh, I've watched that video now a handful of times, heard the story a, a few months ago, and then I just saw the video this week, but watched it a couple of times in preparation. And um, the, I, I don't know if you're like me, but there are times where it's like, okay, my, my problems can make, can kind of, they're big enough that they feel like they can consume all of me. And, uh, and there are, a video like this helps put things in perspective that um, we live in a big world. Uh, the, the problems just in this room um, beyond just our own individual lives, but uh, we all carry uh, a heavy burden on our shoulders. And um, to be reminded that our God is at the center of all of it, uh, the only reason uh, that kind of reconciliation, or I would argue any real reconciliation happens is because of who our God is and what he starts in us and invites us to do in the world. And so we're gonna look at that again this morning. Um, we've been in a series on Matthew Matthew tells a biography of Jesus called Gospel, uh, and we've been working through the life of Jesus as Matthew tells the story. And uh, especially over the last few weeks, we've been looking, um, we noticed that like two-thirds of Matthew deals with uh, the, minis- the life and ministry of Jesus, and then about a third of it all takes place within a week. And so if, you, um, if you're new with us uh, or joining us, let me catch you up on the conversation of just that last week, because it's, it's a loaded week. We've spent a couple months now just unpacking the events of two days. Uh, Matthew goes into great detail. Um, so let, let me catch you up. Uh, on Sunday, the Sunday we know as Palm Sunday in church tradition, Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem. This is Jerusalem at the time of Jesus. He comes into the city of Jerusalem, down the Mount of Olives, and as he's making his way into the city, the crowds are shouting, Hosanna, he's our king, um, save us, save us, Jesus. And they're waving palm branches, laying down their, clo- their cloaks on the road. Um, he's coming in as a king. And uh, Jesus makes his way into the city, and we walk through that story. Um, but then uh, that night, he heads back to a city known as Bethany. Bethany means house of mercy. Um, what we know from the, the scriptures, but also now we're discovering in archaeology, is that Bethany was most likely a, a leper colony. It's where you would go to die. Um, in our world, it'd be kind of like hospice. Um, this is where the, the sickest of the sick, the poorest of the poor, uh, the most desperate were, would, would go. They actually weren't allowed um, into the city unless they yelled unclean. Uh, and so uh, Jesus, he's, he's declared to be the king by the people as he makes his way in, but he chooses to spend his night with the people who are the most desperate. I find that beautiful. Um, that, that, that happens. As we, so uh, Sunday he comes in. Uh, Sunday night he sleeps in Bethany. Uh, he wakes up, and the next day he heads back into the city his first stop is this structure here. This is 
uh, what we often refer to as the temple. Uh, the Bible refers to it as God's house. So to the Jewish people, it's not the temple. It's always God's house. God says, this is where I will live in a really uh, real way with my people. And he heads here, and what he discovers there is so infuriating that he, uh, he's absolutely livid. Uh, there is corruption, injustice. Uh, the religious establishment who is supposed to be taking care of people like this, uh, they are exploiting, they're ripping them off, and they're getting away with it. And Jesus is livid. He flips over tables. He drives out the money collectors um, who are exploiting the poor in the community. Uh, and uh, it's a scene. It is a scene. He then heads back to Bethany. So now we're Monday night, and he spends the night. Tuesday, he gets up, heads back to the same structure, and this time there are people waiting for him. You can't just accuse us. You can't just tell us, how dare you? You come down from your home in the north. You come into our territory, and you dare challenge us on our soil. And they come at Jesus. It's, a, it's group after group after group. We looked at all the different, religious, uh, the different religious camps of Jesus' day, and we talked about how each of the camps are coming at Jesus with their own critiques, their own questions. And Jesus, on Tuesday, is just responding to the critique. It's one after the next, after the next, after the next. It has been a long day. Jesus, then, is leaving, and we read this. This is where we pick up our story. Matthew 24, verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him and to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. So Jesus is leaving, and then comes uh, this statement he makes. Now this statement will be followed by a question. That question, uh, Jesus responds to that question by his disciples with the longest section of narrative, the longest section, longest speech Jesus will, ha- will give second to the Sermon on the Mount. So there's more uh, real estate in your Bible to this speech than any other. It is a loaded speech. It is, this particular speech is one of, I would argue, one of the most misquoted speeches by Jesus. This speech has led profoundly good people to do profoundly dumb things, um, all the way from building bunkers in their backyard to, I read a story about a man who wrapped his house in uh, plastic, um, Oh, it's, it's funny, and actually, it's really funny, and he almost asphyxiated his whole family. Thankfully, he did not. Um, but because of a misreading of this particular story, this story that we're going to look at, we're going to look at the question and the response, uh, this story has led people to talk about things like the end of the world, the rapture, death, hell. Uh, and so what we thought was, over the next few weeks, let's unpack some of that stuff. Um, so here's where we're going. Today, in the few minutes we have, we're going to talk about the end of the world, and then next week, we'll talk about the rapture, and then hell, and then uh, death. <laughs> it's good times. I know, right? It's a very Halloween-appropriate series that's going to extend itself into Thanksgiving. Um, <laughs> but my hope is, honestly, I think it's far more optimistic than it often gets made out to be. I actually believe that um, if you can peel back what we've done to this text in uh, a lot of uh, weird movies and books, what we've done to this particular text. If you can peel that away and actually look at it for what Jesus says and where he says it, I think some of these words are some of the most optimistic words. So we got some work cut out for us. We got to put the words of Jesus into their original context. 
um, and uh, try to figure out what is Jesus saying here. So we got a lot, a lot of work to do, um, as the kids would say. Let's go. <laughs> Anybody else's kids? That's what they're saying now. Let's go. Or as God would, God said to Job, "Gird up now thy loins like a man. Let's go." <laughs> so Matthew twenty-four. <laughs> That's actually in the Bible, uh, Job 38. It can be your life first. Get it on Job 38 tattoo. <laughs> the question is, uh, do you see all these things he asked? So, so they see the buildings. Do you see all these things that he asked? Should they tell you not one stone here will be left on another? Now, Mark adds a detail to uh, this particular observation that I think adds some color to the story. Uh, Mark tells us this added detail in, as he records the story. He says, as Jesus was leaving the temple, one of the disciples said to him, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. And then he says, you see all these great buildings, not one stone will be left on another. Uh, What, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. I read this and I'll be honest, my first instinct is to, I want to roll my eyes at the disciples, especially when you look at the day Jesus has just had. He's been attacked by group after group after group after group after group. It's Sadducees and then Pharisees and then Herodians and they're challenging him on his alliance with the Essenes and the Zealots and he's just been attacked all day long. It's already been quite a week, right? We're on Tuesday. Anybody else have ever have like one of those weeks where it's like it's Tuesday but it feels like next week Friday? Like it's just like this week is so long. This is a week. And now they're outside the temple. He's about to, to leave and go back to Bethany to spend the night, get some sleep. And the response of his disciples, of all people, is, look what beautiful buildings. Until, like, so, so it's easy to roll my eyes at it until you see what they're looking at. It's actually quite impressive. It makes sense of why he says what he says. Jesus is referring to, uh, or they're asking a question about this structure. This is the temple, uh, artist rendition of the temple. Um, it's an impressive it's a very impressive building. Uh, the first century historian Josephus says this about the temple size. He says, in that temple were several stones, which were 45 cubits in, in length, five in height, and six in breadth. Now, I know um, you all know what a cubit is, but I had to look it up. So uh, let me translate um, for myself, at least. Uh, that is eight feet high, 10 feet wide, and 70 feet long. One brick. 70 feet is like the distance from the edge of the stage to our sound booth. One brick. Uh, One of my favorite spots to take people in Israel is uh, this spot. It's an underground tunnel known as the Rabbinic Tunnels. And this underground tunnel, um, there is still a stone. There's not much of the original temple left, uh, just the foundation stones. But this particular stone is the biggest we've seen or found. It's 44 feet long and 570 tons. In other words, it's 1,140,000 pounds, one stone. But what makes it even more impressive to me is that when Herod, the guy who built this temple structure, uh, when he built the structure, he wanted to model the temple on the first temple. The first temple has been destroyed by the Babylonians. Long story. Um, but it's been, it, it came down. He wants to rebuild the temple and, and do it the same way they did it, but do it like on steroids. So what he decides to do is to follow the exact blueprint of how they constructed the temple. And he came across this verse in 1 Kings. In building the temple, only blocks dressed at the quarry were used, and no hammer, chisel, or any other iron tool was heard at the temple site while it was being built. So Herod said, we're going to build the temple, but we're going to cut the stones 
three miles away, and then we'll bring that, we'll decorate them in marble or in gold, we'll chisel them, we'll get them to fit perfectly, but we can't chisel in Jerusalem. So then we'll carry the stones three miles and we'll bring them into the city. To this day, we have no idea how he did it. No clue. Uh, We've got some theories. Some people think he took logs and he rolled them down logs. Um, But to this day, uh, not Apple, not Google, not Elon, although I, I heard he just got Twitter. Good job, Elon. Um, but but uh, look, we, we don't know how to do it. We have no idea how to move this, this big of stones. All that to say, uh, this is an incredible building. It's, an incre- it's the height of human ingenuity. Like This is what we can build. Uh, the historian Josephus, first century historian, Jewish historian Josephus says, to strangers as they approached the temple, it seemed in the distance like a mountain covered with snow, the marble. For any part not covered with gold was dazzling white. So the disciples are leaving. It's been a day. And they come to the temple and they say, look at it. Look at the buildings. Now, there's two ways to read that passage. It could be, look at it. Isn't it awesome? Another way to look at it, and I think maybe this is, this is how I choose to read it, at least. Uh, another way to read the passage is Jesus has spent the last uh, three days, but especially Tuesday, essentially saying to his disciples, listen, this is the house of God. It is stunning and it is beautiful, but the house of God is only as as beautiful as it's displaying who God is. And that only happens when we actually are doing what God told us to do. And so the spirit of God that should be dwelling in the house is, is not seen. It's like there's a cancer in the house. It's a sickness in the house. God's house is sick. The religious leaders have made God's house sick. And the disciples now are leaving and they're saying, but look at the stones, Jesus. What are you going to do about it? Look at it. Look at the beautiful buildings. They're not going anywhere. Now, this is a, it's an ancient question. It's an ancient comment, but it's also kind of a modern one, isn't it? You ever been in front of a problem that's like, this just feels so big, uh, so massive that like, what, what, am, what am I going to do about it? Like, what, do I, what am I supposed to do about this? This is the thing that you're up against feels so big. I was talking to um, over the last couple of years, just trying to get my head around, like, okay, what are, the older I get, the more I realize I, I can become out of touch with, uh, like, teenagers. So I've been trying to ask teenagers, like, hey, what are the pressures you're feeling? What are the things that you're up against? And one of the things I hear again and again is um, it feels as though parents just don't understand which was a Will Smith song, I should quote. Uh, but like parents aren't quite getting the struggles we're in and, um, and uh, things are pretty lonely and like trying to, trying to navigate like the modern like discussions at home with the discussions at school and it has been really, really hard. And every time I've had these conversations, I'm reminded back to when I was a teenager um, and I remember vividly uh, those, the, and this is before social media follows you home, but I remember like standing in front of the mirror and thinking, um, okay, uh, I'm not the most athletic guy. I'm not the strongest guy. I'm not the most attractive guy. Where do I fit in? Where do I fit in? It's kind of like the disciples, like, look at the stones. Is that, that problem so big? Like, is it? Um, and then uh, I, I'm turning 40 in just a few months. And my, um, my, my friends, that means, many of them are turning 40, had a 40th birthday party actually just yesterday. And uh, and one of the things I'm discovering is some of the problems shift when you get older. Like they, they, they are different. They're different, but they're still problems. There are still the things that are before you. And as I talked to my friends who are turning 40, um, one of the things, our conversation shifted a little bit. Like uh, what we're discovering is we're getting injured quicker, but like by sleeping. 
You ever wake up and you're like, what did I do? Like, I, why is my back thrown out? I, and I was, I was actually just at a party on Friday. Uh, my brother-in-law threw a Halloween party and he had uh, ruptured his Achilles. And he's now my third person I know that has ruptured their Achilles in the last couple of weeks. And so he's you know, got the fancy boot on and all that with his ruptured Achilles. Actually, after the first service, there's a gentleman in the back like, I just ruptured my Achilles. And uh, so he's telling me the story of rupturing his Achilles. And I'm realizing I've got lots of friends who are like, these things are like popping on them. And, uh, and he's telling me the story with a group of guys. And another guy's like, oh, I did that around your age. I ruptured my Achilles. And he goes, get this, though. I was trying to put my pants on. And so I was kind of doing the hop. And then I ruptured my other Achilles. <laughs> so I had two ruptured Achilles. And I'm thinking, OK, this is it. Uh, this is what some of you have been warning me about. And you're going to, you're, after the service, some of you are going to come up to me and say, 40 is nothing. I believe it. Uh, but it's like, uh, by the way, then a third person in the group says, like, OK, is it like my body's like just made up of old rubber bands, and they're just going to start snapping? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Um, but they, like, the, look at the rocks. They're big. And like age, age brings blo- like those kind of blocks. And um, far more serious, uh, during COVID, one of the things we saw, I'm sure you, you've seen it in maybe some friend circles, but uh, the stress on marriages was really high. And um, I have a vivid uh, memory. I, I got her permission to share this. She, she was telling me that she had this moment where she was laying in bed next to her spouse and realized, we don't talk. And it's kind of like we're roommates, and we just are, like, we go to bed. And she said, I've never felt more lonely, only I'm with somebody. Look at the stones. They're so big. Like, what, like Jesus, what are you going to do to change that? Uh, Thursday, I was working on this message at um, Schuler's Bookstores and overheard a conversation with two older ladies I try not to eavesdrop when I'm at Schuler's, but every once in a while, the conversation's really interesting. So I'm like, I'm going to listen in. Um, and you know, I had my headphones in, but I muted them, and I listened. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the conversation was something like this. The one lady said, I'm really worried about, I'm really worried about what's going on right now in politics. I think like, this, is, this could be the end. This is like, we've never been more divided. And then the other's like, yeah, yeah. And she goes, why aren't you more worried? You should be more worried. And she's like, I'm trying to be more worried, which is an interesting thing. Uh, in and of itself. She's like, yeah, no, I'm really worried that there's going to be like riots in the streets and like, I don't know what to do next, right? So this is, the, this is the actual conversation. She said the phrase I've heard a lot. I probably said it myself, probably said it in front of you all myself, that we've never been more divided, which is interesting because we were in a civil war where hundreds of thousands of people died. We've been more divided. But, uh, but like, it does feel like that, right? Like, look at the stones, whether it's politics or it's relationships or it's aging or it's health, or it's simply trying to fit in and figure out where do I belong. This issue that the disciples are feeling right now is human. It's the moment where you realize whatever stands before me is way bigger than I have like, the energy to conquer. Jesus now, uh, he says, okay, the stones are coming down. Don't worry, I'll take care of it. Their response then is this. Um, this is the question Jesus asked, that, or they asked Jesus that gives the long speech. Verse three. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming in of of the end of the age? Okay, so their question is our question when we're in those moments. Jesus, you're telling me you're going to fix it? How? We sing about your hope springing eternal? Where? When? How? Give me a code. Tell me when. Here's how Jesus responds. I'm just going to read you a bit of his um, I want you to get a feel for the, the energy behind this whole thing. Let me just read you a bit of uh, Jesus' 
Second longest speech on record. Verse four, Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you for many will come in my name claiming I'm the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, but there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold." But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on a housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in a field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing moms. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, Do not believe it, for false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, don't go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, don't believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. And then he quotes Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with great power, power and great glory and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds." from one end of the heavens to the other. Now, learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know it is near, right at your door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be afraid. It does feel like the end of the world, doesn't it? It feels like that's what he's talking about. It feels like, okay, what? This is very Halloween. What do we do with this? Jesus says, watch for the clues. How many of you, don't raise your hands. You've got a friend. Maybe, hopefully you're not this friend. But you're constantly pointing out the clues. You see the clues. Watch for the clues. Jesus talks about how there's going to be wars and rumors of war. Russia, Ukraine is a war. Doesn't seem to be going anywhere. Uh, Jesus talked about how there's going to be earthquakes and famines. Uh, We've got earthquakes and famines. And add to that hurricanes. Uh, One of my favorite spots to uh, vacation as a family is in Fort Myer Beach. Um, A good friend of ours is grandparents of a condo. So um, we get a chance to go down there once a year. We've done that for a few years now. And uh, have you seen what happened after Hurricane Ina? Uh, Ian, not Ina, Ian. Look at that. Just devastated. 
There'll be false prophets. Watch the clues. Watch for the birth pains. False prophets. Um, now, this is, uh, depending on which news station you watch, you probably get a different set of news. <laughs> that tends to be our world right now. But here's one thing our news stations all agree on. The other station is false prophets. <laughs> There's going to be false prophets. Be careful for the false prophets. Watch for the signs. Um, and by the way, this is why some people are right now, maybe you're, maybe you're in this camp where it's like, oh, this is what drives me bonkers about Christians. You guys are obsessed with the end of the world. Christians are just obsessed with the end of the world. Uh, but here's what I've discovered as I just kind of ran a thought experiment. I'm, I'm discovering that it's not just Christians that are obsessed with the end of the world. Have you noticed that people in general right now are obsessed with the end of the world? Here's my thought experiment. I'll give it to you. Think about how many movies, um, you could go TV shows too. Think about how many movies or TV shows just in the last decade or two are about the end of the world. Here's a list I came up with. Geostorm, Moonfall, 2012. Anybody see all of those? How are you doing so far? Yeah, I like, I, I'm a big, I love these kind of weird movies. That says something about me probably. Uh, 2012, 12 Monkeys, Deep Impact, Twister, Armageddon, Into the Storm, The Day the Earth Stood Still, The Day After Tomorrow, The Core, The Wave, The Fifth Wave, The Road, The Day, The Last Day, The Book of Eli, The Remaining, The Last Man, Contagion, I Am Legend, Interstellar, World War Z, and you can go on and you can go on. Movie after movie about the end of the world. It's the climate. It's, that's what, no, no, it's aliens. No, it's natural disasters. No, it's natural disasters caused by the climate, caused by aliens. Spoiler alert, that is the exact plot of Moonfall. <laughs> and now you know that. Uh, Christians are obsessed with the end of the world, but so are other people. So what do we do with this? What, what is Jesus saying? Is, is he talking about that? How do we think through this? Um, Christians are obsessed in many ways. Many Christians, we have pretty good company with that. So what do we do with this? Now, uh, let me take you to where Jesus says all this. I think location matters in this one. Let me take you to where Jesus says this. He's sitting on the Mount of Olives. Uh, this is the Mount of Olives. Why that matters is because Jesus is overlooking the Temple Mount. You can see the Temple Mount from the Mount of Olives. Now, Jesus is going to give a number of, of images to his disciples. But remember the question they ask. What is their question? All of that we read was a response to a question. Do you remember the question? When, what are the signs? When, Jesus, and how? You said that the walls, these stones, these big, beautiful buildings, you said they're coming down. When and how? Everything else he says is responding to that question. When is it going to happen? How is it going to happen? Jesus has just spent a few days calling out the system. Essentially, the religious system, it's, it's sick. God's house is sick. It's got a cancer in it. The religious leaders aren't acting like Christ. They're not or acting like, like God's commanded them to act. They're not being hospitable, loving, generous. They're exploiting people. And the temple, that structure, has become their center. That was their faith. It was how good did you do at the temple today? 
How many times did you go to the temple today? Did you stand out at the temple today? Could people notice? Last week we, locked, we talked about the, the phylacteries. And the, like, did people see you in the temple today? Did you pray loud enough in the temple today? This building was everything. This was their center. So they asked Jesus, okay, look at the buildings. They're not going anywhere. Jesus responds with, uh, they're coming down. The system is corrupt. And what happened in the first temple when, it, when the people were not following the ways of God is going to happen again. How? It's so big. How? 570 tons? Those stones are coming down, Jesus? Here's the signs. Watch for the signs. And he gives a number of signs. Uh, here are the signs. He says there's going to be earthquakes. Do you know that about uh, 15 years uh, after Jesus says these words, in the year 51 AD, there's a massive earthquake. And this massive earthquake leads to a string of massive earthquakes. Uh, A guy by the name of Tacitus tells us that houses were flattened by repeated earthquakes. He's a Roman historian from the first century. Uh, That leads to instability. Because now we got a problem. In that problem, nations will see, oh, they're weak. We can conquer them. They're poor. We can conquer them. They're desperate. We can con- nations will rise up. Now, uh, if you are living in a pre-internet age, a pre-cable news age, how do you hear of wars? Well, the Jewish people lived on a road called the Via Mars. It's an international highway. Here's how you hear of wars. Hey, did you hear about the Romans? I heard that they're they're, they're plotting a war against the Egyptians. Yeah, but what about the Parthians? The Parthians look pretty strong. I heard the Persians are regrouping. It's wars and rumors of wars. And what do you know? You're a, a Jew living in a small town. Oh, what you know is, yeah, I don't know if any of that's true. What I do know is there's more Romans in my town, in my town than there were before. More soldiers. They put a military bunker in Capernaum. They put another military bunker in Sepphoris, three miles from Nazareth where Jesus grew up. Uh, There's more of them. What are we going to do? And when that happens, so it starts with earthquakes, and then you're going to have rumors of wars and wars, instability, uncertainty. And then you're certainly going to have people rise up saying, I can fix it. Follow me. I'll fix it. False messiahs, messiah means anointed one, God's anointed one. So false messiahs saying, I'm in the name of God or prophets. Uh, In the years following uh, these words of Jesus, we have a string of false messiahs and prophets. Uh, Between the years 44 and 46, so about 10 years after Jesus, there's a man named Theodos. Theodos, I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong. Theodos. He claims to be messiah. He gathers a crew, will fight the Romans. Absolutely wiped out. This entire movement's wiped out. Ten years after Jesus. And how do the Romans respond? They bring in more troops. Then comes a man named Simon. His story is actually recorded in the book of Acts, New Testament book of Acts. He gathers a following in Samaria. Between Galilee and Jerusalem, there's an area known as Samaria. He gathers a following, 20,000 people. Let's fight the Romans. Within days, the Romans stomp them out but they bring in more troops. Can't have this happen again. Uh, Then uh, a man in the year 66 AD, a man named Matthew Joseph. 
in a city called Gamla. It looks like a camel's back, a mountain like a camel. I think I showed an image a few weeks ago. He leads a revolt. The Romans say, enough. We're done. You Jews just won't submit. We're done. And beginning in 66 AD and for the next four years, the Romans come in and decimate the Jews. In 70 AD, remember this date, 70 AD, massive date in our, in our history, the Romans come in and decimate Jerusalem. The temple, gone. Every stone of it. All we have to this day that remains is a portion of what is known now as the Western Wall. It's a portion of the foundation wall, the, 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 the foundation. It's, all we have left is that. And they now refer to it as the Wailing Wall because Jews and Christians will go there to mourn what the Romans did. When Jesus talks here, he's not first and foremost. Now we can talk, we'll spend more time in the next couple of weeks talking about what does this mean for the end of the world. So we'll, we can, we'll go there. But when Jesus talks here, first and foremost, he's talking to a group of people, his disciples primarily, about something that's coming. You're going to try to fight these Romans. And when that happens, here's the science to pay attention to. You'll see this, 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 and this. And if the people in those moments still don't turn their hearts to God, and they won't, the Romans are coming in, and they're going to decimate you. When you read your Bible, you have to pay attention to what Jesus says and what he doesn't say. What does Jesus say? Jesus says uh, that this is the end of the age, not that this is the end of all ages. Jesus says that this, this generation will see these things, not some distant generation at least 2,000-ish years later. This generation will see, Jesus says, this generation, you're going to see these things. Jesus is answering a question, the question being, when are the stones coming down? He's not answering a question of, uh, is Russia taking over Ukraine the sign of the end of the world? That's not the question Jesus is answering. He's answering the question the disciples have of when are the stones coming down? What Jesus has recognized is that the religious leaders have made the center of their thing, the temple, but they forgot that God is supposed to be at the center of the temple. And what he recognizes is when the temple comes down, when the center comes down, if that's their center, if they haven't made God their center, their movement's gone. And guess what? The Sadducees, the Zealots, the Essenes, the, uh, the Herodians, after 70 AD, they're gone. The Pharisees remain. They're, that's modern-day Judaism traces its roots to the Pharisees because they didn't link themselves to the temple that strongly. But the rest of them are gone. When their center's gone, they're gone. And Jesus says to his disciples, listen, it's coming. Pay attention to what he actually says. But my kingdom, my kingdom, you all, my kingdom is not rooted in a building when it happens, don't give up hope. My kingdom, your center is not a building. I, I, um, so I love the, the, the biblical history stuff. I, I, love, I love that stuff. Um, but really why this matters to me, uh, the, the, the reason this passage I think is a relevant question is not just because we're on the verge of an election in a couple of days. Um, 
I just find that this particular, uh, this lesson of what do we put our center on, what's our hope rooted in, is maybe one of the most foundational questions we could ever ask. Like, where is our center? Especially in the hard moments. In the, when the, the, look at the stones. When the stones before us, the problems before us are too big, and, and some of you right now are going through some things that are too big for your sheer willpower to get you through. Some of you are going through things. You have loved ones who are going through things that are too big for as great as counseling sessions are, and they're really great. Talking it through is probably not going to fix it. We need an anchor that's bigger. And what Jesus says here is when it happens, I need you to see that our God is bigger than just the building. Right now, we live in a world where teenagers are in, uh, I, I honestly, um, the, the struggles with identity, I, re, I, I relate to it because I can remember it. I think we all who are older can remember it. And I also just acknowledge that your generation has it harder. Um, it's a hard space right now. Uh, and if, if your teenagers, if your center is just in, um, how do I fit in? How do I look? How do people accept me? It's not a big enough center. Um, and uh, all the way to uh, health issues. If your center is in just this, I think one of the things I'm learning, especially as I walk beside more older people, is how temporary this life really is. And I think when you're 20, it still feels like this life goes on forever. Um, it can kind of feel like that, and even 30s, and even probably into the 40s. Um, but you begin to become aware of um, I remember how my grandpa said it to me once. He said, I see more of my friends in the obituaries these days than I see uh, in real life, in person. And you should become aware of, like, if that's, that can make you really cynical and really jaded, or you can actually hold it all a bit looser. Um, if your center is even in really good, heaven forbid we would lose really good things and important things like um, families and marriages. And, um, but our center is bigger in fact, I think the reason we can get up the next day and we can fight again for all of those things is when we realize that we have a bigger foundation, we have a bigger center. And so I, I, uh, this, we'll pick up the story next week and we'll talk about, because um, some of you are probably thinking, well, what about the two, like the two walking up a hill and one taken and the two laying in the bed and didn't Mike Seaver from Growing Pains warn us about this? Uh, we'll, we'll, go, we'll, we'll talk about that next week, but I... Uh, I offer to you this passage this morning because I just, um, well, okay, so I'm watching this video. I've seen it a number of times. Here's the part that stands out to me. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how you approach a Sunday, but I'm usually saying, God, can you give me something, right? Give me something to keep me going. Sometimes God gives me a lot. Sometimes it's just another breath to keep moving to the next week. Um, but uh, in this case, there was a line from that video that like, it was first service. It like stuck its arrow in my heart and I won't forget it. Um, and so if, you have, if I gave you nothing, if you heard nothing, maybe God speaks to you through that video in this line. Uh, when he says, the, the, the dad, who, after losing his son when, and, and, and reconciling with the family of his son's murderers, when he says, why did, you, why did you do this? Here's what he said that sticks. Christ's love compels me. It's a bigger center. It's a bigger center. Um, whatever problems are before us, the one who is with us is far greater. 
may leave us with these words from Hebrews. Um, the author of Hebrews is writing to a church in the midst of this persecution. It's after the, they, they're scattering. They're doing what Jesus warned is going to happen. They have to run. They have to hide for cover. And he writes a letter. And in his letter, he, uh, he talks about um, how some of us are running for our lives and others of us are running towards Christ as if our life depended on it. And this is what he says. Is we, will, we who have run for our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. It's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline. Uh, I like how the NIV translates it also. The NIV says, it's an anchor for our souls. Reaching past all appearances, right to the very presence of God, where Jesus, running on ahead of us, has taken up his permanent post as high priest for us. What Jesus wants to be in our lives is an anchor for our souls. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord. Uh, Lord, I pray for everyone here who right now is walking beside a family member who is sick or ill, Lord, would you be their anchor? Lord, I pray for every couple in this space or everyone who um, is, is feeling lonely in our room this morning, Lord, I pray that you would be an anchor for their soul. Lord, the, the devastating weight of loneliness is, uh, they feel it, Lord. Would you be a presence to them in this season? Uh, Lord, we pray that you would heal marriages. Lord, we pray that you would uh, bring resurrection from things that look to be dead. Uh, Lord, for everyone here who is feeling the stress of burnout, uh, the exhaustion of running so fast and uh, feeling like they're on a treadmill and going nowhere. Uh, Lord, for everyone who is uh, this morning feeling like they have to go back into the office tomorrow and it's another dreaded day. Lord, for every young person here who has, um, uh, Lord, they're, they're sh- the stress of figuring out their identity, how, where do I belong, who am I? Um, Lord, I pray that you would be an anchor for our souls. And Jesus, in a world that constantly tries to spin us around, uh, Lord, with an enemy who's constantly trying to whisper in our ears, uh, Lord, would you be an anchor and our shield and our protector, our solid rock. Uh, Jesus, we love you and we thank you in Christ. We pray this in your name because your love compels us. Uh, amen. We hope that this week's message has brought you both some challenge and some blessing. For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, find us on the web at www.southharbor.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. And on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., you can find our service streamed live on our Facebook page. And so from all of us here at South Harbor and the Harbor Churches, we want to wish you a blessed week.